Hello. <laughs> yeah, again. So is this the top? Uh, yes, let's do the top. Okay. You had us at... <laughs> Wait, start again. How does it go, though? It goes like this. It goes, you had us at... Hello. Hello. Yes, well, we see. We can yeah. use that one. We can use that one. Yes. This table's quite creaky. Creaky table. Hello, everybody. Just Hello. to let you know, set the scene. We're at Billy's. Uh, Tess uh, is wearing her Carrie Fisher t-shirt. I am wearing a t-shirt that says Carrie Fisher on it. And a it. new hairstyle, which is very fetching. I have a new coming. hairstyle, yeah. Yes. It is short. Short. I wouldn't good. say it's like short hair, but it's no. sh- it's definitely shorter. Yeah. It's a bob. It's a bob. bob. It's a messy bob. It's a messy bob. It's a lob. Yeah. Um, a mob. A mob? A mob. It's a mob. <laughs> it's a mob. I like your mob. Uh, thank you. Um, and there's a book on the table called The Lion in the Living Room. Yes. Which, which is about... The history of cats. How house cats tamed us and took over the world. So mm. I feel I'm in the right place. Mm. Yes. There are many different animals you may hear. Yes, there will be animal noises. Um, there's a new cat that's hiding away in the bedroom mm-hmm. from Tabitha the other there's dog. There's animal husbandry going on. There really is. So if you hear, so that's a, that's okay. If mm-hmm. you, if, I mean, if you don't like animals, then go away. Well, because in fact, you're now. so happy to hear from us after all this yes. time. So I have on my list intro, Billy and Tess live catch up. Ah, yeah. How are you? I'm <laughs> right. I was sick. Mm-hmm. You were sick. Me too. So sick. Yeah. So sick, Billy, that at one point I just thought this is it. And no one's going to know where I am. And me and Nora, my cat, are mm. me and Norbs. Mm. We're just together in this forever. Um, but I survived. Sad tale. Yeah. No, I was. So, I had that. I had the flu, and mm. and I'd flown back from England as well. So it was a combination of flu and jet lag. I'll which see was, your flu and raise you strep throat. That's bad. Yeah. And could you not talk? Because I lost my voice totally. I talked like this. I sounded like one of the gangsters. Nice. I sounded a bit like Marge Simpson. Oh, nice. Which was, some might find that attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, Although Lisa, you know, is the face of the Democratic Party. She, she is the face of the Democratic Party. But, um, oh, by the way, that was Judith in the background. Judith is gardening, Billy's wife. Um, wife, partner? Wife? Wife. Wife, sorry. Uh, I was being modern and, you know, um, she's gardening in the We still have garden. wives in America. Just you know. I know, but I just like to check before I... <laughs> You know, give someone a title these days. Yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I was... Then we just got busy. We got both sick. I you was were work, working TV I writer. was... Work, I'm a, I was. I finished. Oh, it's done. I finished two weeks ago. Congrats. I know. So now I'm... And I miss everyone. And oh. I've been flailing around without... It's one of the things about the business that is so tough. You get so tight with a group of people. I know. And every day is so personally, intimately connected. And then, boom. I know. Gone. And it was so... Not, and they was just such fucking great people. And it's such a, like, lovely show to be on. And... Yeah, I... Tell the people what the show is. Oh, sorry, it was Casual. Yes, it was been on Casual, which is on Hulu. And um, and it was just, yeah. And now, I think we spoke on the last podcast about how good it was for me because my, you know, my mental health was much better being around people. Mm-hmm. And now I'm out of it again. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to remind myself that this is the drill again. But also, it's just a good recognition of my own personal life. Like, yes, I need to be around people and be busy. I also came off social media. I mean, I'm, I'm a little concerned, Billy, because no one's inquired about my death, <laughs> considering I've been off it for... I noticed. <laughs> I've been meaning to ask you. This is a dearth of tests, on, uh, certainly on Twitter. I mean, I'm not off it for good. I'm just having, like, a break, and... Uh-huh. I've been back on for like seven minutes every month yeah, or so, and mean. then I kind of go. Um, but it's been interesting being. Yeah, I, I genuinely. I think. Oh, because I did see you. We have seen each other because we yes. did a talk, me and Billy, yes. um, at Stephen's College. 
I've added a soot to it. It's just Stevens College. It's right. not a saint. And they're located in the Jim Henson Studios, which formerly was A&M, and before that, the Chaplin Studios. It was amazing. Yes. It was like Muppets everywhere. And uh, We were shown the uh, cement footprints of Charlie Chaplin. We were shown the vault where they used to uh, store the nitrate film stock. We saw the soundstage where he uh, filmed The Great Dictator. Yeah, it was a good, and that was a lovely morning as well because we were just talking about romantic comedies for... Two hours. Two hours. To a bunch of people that were like really interested in romantic comedies Imagine or students. That. So, yeah. so yeah. So that is where we've. That's what we've been doing. We've been working. We've been sick. We've been giving talks to students. Um, <clears throat> and we kind of started emailing and said we should probably do another podcast. Um, and then we obviously. I mean, it's hard to when you live in Hollywood uh, not be involved in the award season that has yes. been occurring for the last sort of few months um so we thought well i mean let's talk about the awards the oscars are on sunday so i'm going to try and edit this before sunday mm. <laughs> just so that, that it has be some, just yeah. be good it'd be useful wouldn't it mm-hmm. um so here's the premise spoiler the big sick will probably not win by the way phantom thread was my favorite and it's technically a romantic comedy on many levels <laughs> what <laughs> All right, now you've stunned me. Only because it's so... It's funny. Is it? Oh, my God, oh, Billy. Okay. It's real. I mean, I loved it anyway, but it is It is a funny movie. Like, I laughed out loud maybe 10 to 12 times. I feel like that constitutes, you know, some okay. comedy. You, you should know. see it. Um, Our credibility is now on the line. Yeah. They're going to go, those those weird <laughs> podcasters said that Phantom Thread's a romantic it's, I mean, it's not. But but as in, when you see it, you will see what I mean. Okay. It's a lot funnier, mm-hmm. and it's a courtship story. I believe you. Um, but yeah, I feel I have this ongoing issue with the, the nomination sort of process in terms of, and I think we were talking about this in emails, in terms of how something can get nominated for best script, but not best film. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I don't yeah. as and a writer. Yeah, and I said it's the same with pictures that win best picture and yet not winning best director. I mean, there's always a disparity that makes no sense. It's it's just weird to me. And I my only solution is that there's only one award and it's just for best film, and we get rid of everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the award ceremony takes three minutes, and it's like the winner is mm. Get Out, which I think yeah. should be yeah. the winner. Should just everything. win everything. Yeah. Yes. Um, but the big sit got nominated, so you know that's. Right, but I mean to say our discussion is going to be on how romantic comedy has largely not gotten the props it should in the Oscar history, mm-hmm. and generally speaking, but that's related to the larger topic of comedy. Yes. and they Not getting what it should. No, and I think years. it's interesting. I've written here, segue into the big sick and the eternal question, why do rom-coms never win anything or just get nominated for best screenplay and nothing else? And then you emailed me back and were like, well, there's, there are exceptions, and, mm. and we know this. We'll so, talk about that. Yeah, so there's exceptions like Moonstruck. Well, here, here, here's one in every decade okay. that has gotten the props that it deserves. Okay, tell me. It happened one night in 34. Right. Philadelphia Story, 1940. Pillow Talk, 1959. We can make fun of it because it's Rock Hudson, Doris Day, but it was a really yeah. brilliant screenplay. Yeah. The Apartment, 1960, a classic. Annie Hall, of course, in 77. Moonstruck in 87. Sense and Sensibility in 95. Eternal Sunshine and Sideways both got nods right. okay. in 2004. So that was a good year. And then Her in 2013. But by and large, that's the best of it. Yeah. Meaning, you know, and they're the ones lucky. that won, yeah? Yeah. I mean... All one, and also when when Harriet Sunday was nominated but didn't win, which is ridiculous. Right, but I'm talking about actual winners. Lost in Translation, 
didn't that win? Uh, it won for... Screenplay? Screenplay. Yeah. Which was really a consolation prize for her not getting director, which right. is really what that film right. should have gotten. So the screenplay is neither here nor there. But no, I'm not saying that these are the only ones. I'm no. saying on the average, these are the prominent ones over like, you know, it averages out to about one one decade or more. And I feel like they then become, like, they're the accepted ones. Yes. And they've all got this certain degree of pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, in a way, is that's great and everything, but it also kind of, like, forgets about the movies that were just as good but didn't have a, you know, uh, auteur director or didn't have, like, a, a star doing a turn in a way that you hadn't seen them before or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's very... I think the ones that get nominated are all brilliant, obviously, and I love them, but there is a certain prestige-accepted... Silver Linings Playbook, for example, you know, it's like they they become not romantic comedies because they've then subsequently won awards. They're just considered, you know, popular movies. Yes, yes. So to be, I have a to be fair category, meaning ones where you can understand why they lost. Okay. For example, 1993, Sleepless, which ordinarily would get more attention, was shut out by The Piano, which that year was the big buzzworthy movie. Yeah. 94, <laughs> Four Weddings gets shot down by Pulp Fiction, which, of course, you know, you yep. can't really argue that. And plus, they were competing with Shawshank and Forrest Gump. So, yeah, you know, that was, right? Yeah. Jerry Maguire in 96 is no match for Fargo. Right? No match you at know? all. And then uh, her in 2013 gets aced out of Best Picture by 12 Slaves. We're not going to argue against that. Yeah. And it does win screenplay. And then can we also talk about the year that Forrest Gump came out and won everything was also the year that Groundhog Day did not get any nominations That's okay. at all. I have additional category, which is unnominated outrages. Okay. And right at the top, Groundhog Day didn't get nominated in 93. It's ridiculous. Which is like, what were they thinking? It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. So other ones that have never been nominated. Nominated for a rom-com fan, this will really raise raise the hair on your uh, clueless ninety-five. Mm-hmm. No nomination. Defending your life, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, no noms. Screenplay, no noms. Say anything. Nothing. Iconic by Nothing. now in eighty-nine. Princess Bride eighty-seven is Nothing. ignored. Not That's nominated. Insane. Romancing the Stone in eighty-four. No nomination, even though it's. Just, I mean, that you know, seems insane to me. And 40-Year-Old Virgin. Well, I'm not so worried about yeah, that but, not but, being nominated. But, but, <laughs> so, no, but in terms of the the cultural shift that 40-Year-Old yeah. Virgin and then Knocked Up are indicative of, to be completely ignored by the Academy is like... It's ridiculous. So we decided on the basis of this, well, I hope we did, because last time we got confused, and maybe we... I hope we haven't got confused this time, Billy, mm-hmm. but maybe... We decided to... Pick ones that should have been nominated. I mean, either screenplay or picture. Oh, screenplay or picture. Should have been nominated. Yeah, so we're going to tell you. We're going, but we're going to surprise each other with the last few decades, and we're each going to pick one that that scandalously didn't either could have been nominated or, didn't, or just didn't get enough love, in our opinion, in contrast with the movie that actually won that year. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, you've listed quite a few there, so I'm intrigued about the ones that you're going to pull out. The bag. Well, I also wanted to mention that in some cases, there are actually romantic comedy wins that seem undeserved. For example, in 1964, I would raise the question, is the movie version of My Fair Lady really a better picture than Dr. Strangelove? Is... Um, no, and also, <laughs> no. like, no. And yet it won. The answer is no. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a, a couple of rare... And then there's the, the year that Gigi won, which, which there's no movie that... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pretty much anything could be better than Gigi, although it was a weak year. That was, uh, I forget, <laughs> it was 61 or two. Yeah. Right, yeah. I mean, I must admit, most of my surprises are from... They start in the 80s, and, and I, I didn't go... I couldn't get 
further back than the 80s. I'm covering the... Uh, covering I felt the that you would. Yes. I, was, got, I felt that you would. I got the back, the back nine. Yeah, so I, knew, I knew that you would have done that. Yeah, so the idea is, so that's what we're going to talk about, first of all, movies, rom-coms that should have had some love. We're going to give them some Oscars ourselves, basically. Yeah. And then we're going to pose some uh, eternal sunshine of the rom-com mind questions that mm. have been oh, like digging that. at us. Thank you, that yeah. have been noodling away for the past few months that we have posed to each other on email and we thought actually maybe we could just mm-hmm. talk about them in the second section I will note just to be completely politically incorrect don't show me those I can see don't let me look oh, okay. to be com- your... completely in- incorrect on mm. every level I'll just note the historical fact do you know who has gotten the most nominations and wins for screenplay and director in the romantic comedy field I mean, it's got to be Woody Allen. It is Woody Allen. Yeah. Sixteen nominations, you know, and three wins. I, he's, it's this. He's not the greatest subject matter at the moment to discuss. This is, it's complicated. That's why I'm simply saying. Yeah, but I think. I think he became the accepted face of the romantic comedy. If we're yes. taking away the kind of politics the of everything era, yeah. at the moment, I feel like. And it and it was like oh here's the default person can win this oh let's give him best screenplay right. for that for, for you know whatever mm-hmm. and I and that does annoy me a bit I'm not going to lie you know because really his point of view is the same in nearly every single one that he makes agreed so I'm not entirely uh, happy with those stats my sidebar is nothing to do with romantic comedy but just something I discovered in the process of researching this was that in 1984. Beverly Hills Cop was nominated and it should have won. And I don't understand why it wasn't because it's a perfect fucking screenplay. Mm. Anyway, not a rom-com. So, shall I start? Because this is a Woody Allen segue. Because my first one is from 1986. Okay. The year that Hannah and her sisters won. Won for screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Room with a View won for best adapted screenplay. Both deserve it. Yeah. Uh, And Platoon won for best film. Yeah. You know, I... I love Platoon. I used to have the Italian poster for Platoon. Um, and arguably one of Oliver Stone's most coherent works. Okay, yeah, yes. definitely. Um, but do you know what film I think should have got nominated and got more love in 1986, Tell Billy? Us I think that The Sure Thing should oh. have done. This one is for Craig Mason. Ah, The Sure Thing. <laughs> so The Sure Thing, which I was thinking about this. So I'm going to give the Oscar to Steve Bloom and Jonathan Roberts, who wrote The Sure Thing. Uh, Rob Reiner directed it, so he can, but he's, he's got enough awards, so I'm not worried about that. I was thinking about the sure thing in terms of what number one, it's a brilliantly contained piece of a romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a road trip rom com. Mm-hmm. Um, the title tells you everything you need to know. Right. Um, the central chemistry between the two leads is fantastic. Um, it's also, I was thinking about this last night, it's, it feels right for a remake on some levels. It's one of those yeah. movies that mm-hmm. I wouldn't be annoyed if I heard about the mm-hmm. remake of it because mm-hmm. I actually think there's some interesting things to talk about in terms of and the current... Date. Because yeah. in the, you know, in, in the 85 version, mm-hmm. I mean, 86 it would have won in because that's the technical Oscar year for it. Um, you know, he, he just had a photograph of this, you know, of right. Nicolette Sheridan, whatever her name is, and, and, you know, and that was all he had to go on, you know, whereas now he'd be able to create a whole scenario oh, yes. for this person. Yes. Um, and I just think it's, I mean, Craig talked about it on a couple of pods back as being one of his favourite romantic comedies, and I think it's one that gets forgotten. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that would be my Oscar nomination for 86 would not have got, oh, that's... Tabitha letting out. She's in agreement with me. She's a sure thing. No, I like that. It's making me want to see it again because I really did enjoy it. It's very difficult to actually, you have to watch it. I tried, I couldn't seem to get it on. I I had to watch it on YouTube in the end. Don't tell anyone. Is that Rob Reiner? Yeah, Rob Reiner. Yeah. Yeah. So that's who my 86 one goes to. Uh, And let me note, by the way, 
um, that the late 80s, mm-hmm. 86, 87, 88, is the golden age sweet spot for a contemporary romantic comedy. Well, yeah. It's, it's almost shocking how many good rom-coms come out in that period. You've got Hannah, Room of the View, Broadcast News, Moonstruck, Working Girl, Short Thing. Wow, that's... I mean, that's... it's all in that three-year period. It's just like this kind what of... What was going on in the world in that three-year period? Well, that would be a subject for further exploration in another pod. Yeah. I mean, not a rom-com pod, just maybe like a political, sociological yeah. pod about what was happening to people in the late 80s. Well, it was the greed is good, yeah. you know, time You need of a the friend, culture. get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll return to that. Yes. But on the Oscar, <clears throat> excuse me, on the Oscar We should front, actually return to that because in I'd a future like pod because that mm-hmm. is an interesting thing. What happened in those three years? Okay, yeah, yeah. To, to do. To do. So uh, I'm going to take us way back through the mists of time. Okay to illustrate what I think is a central principle here in terms of overlooking romantic comedy. In uh, most famously, of course, it happened one night, swept in the big five, the big five, the big five, which was historical and exactly right, because that was a hugely innovative movie in its day, took uh, studio pictures off the lot and out into the real world to film and et cetera, et cetera. Everybody knows why it happened. But years later, 1937. Okay. The Awful Truth, which is a fantastic screwball with Cary Grant, Irene Dunn, Ralph Bellamy. The Bellamy! The Bellamy, uh, being a great Bellamy. And Asta, of course, the best dog in the history of romantic comedy. Uh, A a screamingly funny film directed by Leo McCary is bested by, wait for it, (laughs) The Life of Emile Zola. Oh, now, God. when you're settling down for like Netflix <laughs> and chill, right, on a night where you want to watch an old yeah, that's ball, what I want to I'm watch. sure Emil Zola is the first thing. That I comes think to I mind. really want to watch a. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I go to E M I Z. Yeah, I'm like because you never get to use the Z. No, just gets there straight away. You just do Emil Zola. But I mean, but honestly, I mean, Awful Truth is a movie that you can watch over and over again. It's hilarious. It's got such great set pieces, and it's just it makes you feel good. You right. Write about that in your book yeah, as well, don't I you? Mean, I'm just having like a yeah, yeah. yeah. A so the so the idea that it's defeated by a, a stiff piece of complete, you know, it's like watching paint dry. Emil Zola to me illustrates the basic issue for all the decades, and we'll see this time and time again. Yeah, where a good funny movie, be it's it a beaten. romantic comedy or a comedy, is steamrollered by some, uh, you know, arcane historical dry as dust biopic or, or issue film that no one wants to, see, no one to see at all. Why yeah. don't you get drunk with me no more? You know it's been good You've been my gushing hunk of honey So why'd you forget this time and lock the back porch door So my next one is 1988. Mm. I got gotcha. The year that Rain Man... Oh, you got this as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. But it'll be interesting to see whether we have the same one that sh- we think should have won. So, ATA, I, Rain Man won Best Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Dangerous Liaisons won Adapted, which I adore mm-hmm. that movie, mm-hmm. so that's fine mm-hmm. by me. And Rain Man won Best Picture as well. Yeah. Should we say at the same time on one that we've got? Well, if it's the same. Okay, let's see if it happens. Let's, let's, this is fun. After three. One, two, three. Paul uh, Darren. Ah, okay, because that's the alternative I've got. Great, perfect. All perfect. Right, you talk about Paul Durham. So, Paul Durham came out that yeah. year. I mean, what the fuck? Paul Durham is like a perfect romantic comedy, and it's a sports movie. It's like, hits my sweet spot in ways that people would never even realise. It's got everything. Um, and 
I again, I mean, you know, we can say this a million times in this podcast. So one of those films that people don't think is a romantic comedy because it's a sports movie and it is a romantic right. comedy. Yes. Um, Ron Shelton. I mean, I I think he he writes. I mean, Shelton I lo- at his best. Shelton at his best. I even like Shelton Tin Cup Shelton. You yeah. know, like I'm into him mm-hmm. on on many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also into. Just the the whole concept of Will Durham in such a again another very contained piece of work and just like you said a film that you can watch many many times look it's a great film Rayman like that's not in dispute mm-hmm. but to win best screenplay yes. and best film the I year know. that something like Bull Durham a film yeah. that you go back to time and time again yeah yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that I, I give the my Oscar goes to Bull Durham and yours goes to. I'm going to join you in the same year with A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, I totally is, forgot. Did which get... is one of the most hilarious movies ever made, romantic comedy schmomedy. It's yeah. just it is just wall to wall funny. Yeah, and it's brilliant. John Disa- Cleese disappointed. Wrote, disappointed. Mean. Still saying to this day. Uh, it's it's a script by Cleese and Crichton, mm-hmm. who was a famous British director from back in the day. Yeah, all those I. The name, is was he eating Ealing? comedy? He's eating comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I yeah. mean, it's really just an amazing piece of work. Kevin uh, Klein, Klein, who did win an Oscar, I think. I for think supporting. he won supporting. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I there's think he that. Did. Uh, but I mean, just an extraordinary cast and just wall to wall. Oh, it's a perfect. I, I mean, mean, it's so. And you know why? It's interesting because I often get like it's British in a way that is international, and that's why it always appealed to me because mm-hmm. it's not British in a twee. You know, and John Cleese is playing the Quintus. I mean, he's a barrister, isn't he? I think yeah. in it, and his and his obsession with for Jamie Lee Curtis, which is pitch perfect. You know, because mm-hmm. she's in on it. I mean, you've got Michael Palin with the, the you know the cat oh with, with, yeah, his, the with his stutter. Yes. You know, the dog, the running dog joke when the, you know. I mean, it's. It is a perfect movie. And it's also, you're right, it's like another one of those ones. It just feels like a comedy rather than a romantic comedy, but it is a romantic comedy, 100%. I think it got put in the comedy canon. Yeah, people you don't know. think of it that way. Yeah. But, but the major plot is determined by that relationship. By that relationship, yeah. I keep saying that to everybody. Okay, so next up. Next up. Is it me, is it me now? Yeah. It's me now. Okay, so I am now going to jump ahead a few years mm-hmm. to 1997. Have you got a 97? No. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that year, yes. Good Will Hunting. Oh, I know where you're going. Go best ahead. screenplay. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah, I do. Do you think you know what I'm going to choose? I think I do. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, LA Confidential won Adapted. And who and could argue? fucking Titanic won Best Film. I've never seen Titanic, Billy. Really? Never. You know what my phrase is for this? Never seen it, never will. Okay. Um... So, what do you think I'm going to say for 97? Because I'm interested. As good as it gets. No! 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 Mine is a total curveball that did get nominated for Best Song, Billy. Wow. Mine is One Fine Day, starring George Clooney. Oh, my goodness. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Hmm. Yes. When did you last see it, Billy? When it came out. Billy, go back to One Fine Day. (laughs) Okay. One Fine Day is like... A film from another era in the best possible way. Mm. It's like a Cary Grant movie. Mm. George Clooney with Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn movie. Mm. It is lovely. Mm-hmm. It's cheesy as fuck. Right. In but it's structured brilliantly. So I mean, it's written. By, I love the structure. Yeah. The structure's great. It's um and it's also you know kind of modern. She's a divorced single mother. You know she's she's an architect. She has a job. She's just trying to like get someone to look after her kids because it's like. 
difficult for her, of course. So the structural thing we should mention is mm. that it all takes place in one, one day. day. One yeah. fine day. One fine day. Really. Yeah. Um, it's written by Ter- Terrell Seltzer and Ellen Simon. So I felt like they did not get enough kudos <laughs> and they should have got some sort of nomination yes. because the screenplay, I imagine, also read brilliantly on the page. One would think. It has got great pace to it. Mm. And also it's... It's old-fashioned and screwball. They, the way they talk, they all have these massive mobile phones in it, which are hilarious and in the back of these taxi. Yeah. Big, oh, yeah. And Clooney is... Mm. So, yeah, that was my curveball one for you there. That's a good one. Thank you. Um, I'd like to see it again. You, seriously, watch it on a Sunday afternoon, and you, I, I defy you to not have a little nice little afternoon to yourself, basically. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh, I could watch it with my lovely wife. And, you yes, know. your lovely wife, yeah. not partner. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go fairly obscure by today's standards, mm-hmm. go back in the midst of time to the 60s. Oh. And when I think of the 60s and 60s movies, I tend to gravitate towards a film that was nominated but did not win in 1967. Okay. Written by a very sort of usually not romantic comedy-oriented screenwriter, British Frederick Raphael, Ooh. directed by Stanley Dunnan, and that is Two for the Road. I'd never heard of this movie. Look at your face. I wish you, people could see it. I never heard of it. It's a classic. What? Who's in it? <laughs> it's Audrey Hepburn and Albert Finney. I don't know this film, Billy. Oh, my God. Oh, well, then you're in for a treat. Oh. So on behalf of Tess and all of you out there who've never seen it, 1967, at a point where all the wheels were coming off all the traditional vehicles, it's the story of a marriage, and it's told in a completely non-linear way. The two of them are out vacationing, in Europe, and it's intercut with flashbacks to the entirety of their married life. And the premise of the movie is they're just about to split up, and it's will they actually stay together. That sounds like my ideal movie, Billy. Well, it's an amazing movie, and it's got great funny bits in it that are hilarious, and it's got really dark, poignant, and uh, dramatic moments, and great performances by both of them. Uh, And it takes a good look at what was then considered a modern marriage, and kind of holds it up to, can this survive the vagaries of real life? So it's, it's a brilliant script, and uh, it's very 60s in the style, and it's sort of like that. It's Stanley Dunnan trying to be Richard Lester a little bit, because right, right. it's got a lot of quick cutting and very okay. TV-like work. But it's beautiful to look at. It's all European. And it's funny. And it's funny as hell, but it's also very sad. Okay, but that's fine and, by uh, me. And it did not get the love. Okay, well, that is a... Yeah. I love that one because I've never heard of it. So, Well, the, th- oh. the thing that... Oh, sorry. Oh, Winston. Winston. Winston is a small terrier dog barking at the window. Yeah. What, cause what has he seen? What has he seen? Oh, Lord knows. It'll be a dog. He's seen so many things. <laughs> the movie that uh, Two for the Road lost to in oh, the yeah. screenplay... Oh God, is what? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. But, <laughs> but if you had seen Two for the Road, you'd understand the outrage. Right. Because in terms of levels of complexity and real emotional substance, no comparison. No comparison. Okay, but this is good. We're, we're, we're bringing up movies that people don't normally think about. I know, I know. And I love it when I... I mean, I love being told about rom-coms I've never heard of. Um, which actually segues nicely into my next one. Um, mine is from 1998. Mm. Do you have an 898? Well, that's part of the big year with, you know, part of the, where everything's... Yeah. No, 98. Oh, 98. Yes. Do you have anything no, for 98? I don't. Okay, interesting. Um, this is adapted screenplay mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. 
uh, that year, Gods and Monsters won. Um, and then Shakespeare in Love won Best Film and yes. Screenplay. Whatever. So... This film was... I love, I love how, how the true romantic comedy devotees have the same response to Shakespeare in Love, yeah. which most other people think is like, oh, yes, the great Well, that, that, that and Love Actually are the two yeah. that people go, ah, yeah. la, la, la. Um, So this film was actually nominated. Mm-hmm. And I have a good sidebar story to it for it okay. as well. So, um, so I'm giving it to Out of Sight. Out of Sight, your new best friend, Scott Frank's film. My new best friend, yeah. Scott Frank. So, so sidebar Scott Frank story. Yeah. Um... <laughs> he's not my new mate, he's a friend. <laughs> anyway, I was on the phone to him the other day and we were talking about romantic comedies and um, he, he loves them and he was, you know, waxing lyrical about different things and doing whatever and, and I said to him, Scott, but you, you've written one. He said, no, I haven't. <laughs> I said, you've written Out of Sight and he was like, oh my God, is, what do you... And then I broke it down for him and said, it's a hybrid, obviously, you know, it's, it's a crime, you know, thriller romantic comedy. But the, the, if you take away the central relationship between George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez, you have no movie. There's no movie, yeah. And then he, he was over the moon. <laughs> I'm so happy that you could enlighten him on this one. I think I even referenced it in yes. writing the romantic comedy. Yes, yes it's yes, a hybrid. Yeah. It is. Um, so he was, he was delighted. I mean, probably would have been more delighted if he'd actually won the Oscar for was. the nomination. But um, again, an, like another perfect contained kind of movie, um, obviously multi-threaded, lots of subplots, but essentially the, the main thrust of the movie is between those, you know, the man and the, 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 those They've two. They've got rather. that great sequence in the trunk of a car. Oh, God, it's the so best, it's the cute me. I mean, yeah. it's like the ultimate cute me. Yeah, no, it's just You great. know, um, so yeah, and it's and and it's also got one of my all-time favourites, Catherine Keener, in it. Who everyone who I just adore, so I love her role in it. So yeah, so that was my 1998 one. I mean, it did get nominated, but I feel like yes. Shakespeare in Love scuppered it. Mm. On no, and it deserves some love. It really, it really does. Marvelously, it really, really does. Yeah. All so, right, I'm with you there. Good. All right, now I have to go to perhaps the most obvious of all of these selections that we're speaking of, which is the year of 1982. Ooh, okay, and in 19. 19- 1982, Gandhi oh. <laughs> was best picture and best screenplay both, and it's life of Emile Zola all over again because Tootsie, oh, yes. the great American comedy, was in 92. It was in 82, oh. and the idea that that Ga- how many times have you rewatched Gandhi? <laughs> I ask you. Well, do you know what? I have actually seen Gandhi. A couple of times. Seriously? My mum loves that movie. Ah, okay. When you look back now and you think, you know, technically Ben, well, Ben Kingsley blacked up. To, yes, to play. Yes. Let's, there's mm-hmm. some questionable things going mm-hmm. on in that film mm-hmm. anyway. It's Richard Attenborough. I mean, it's a wonderful movie, Gandhi. I mean, it is genuine. I know, oh, I know you're not saying, saying that. But in comparison movie. to Tootsie, yes, yes. I've seen Tootsie maybe 25 times. Yeah, <laughs> I, and mine countless. Yeah. You know. So, geez. I mean, we've talked about Tootsie a lot in the past, so we don't need to reiterate that it's Murray Shiska, Larry Gilbert, and Elaine May, yep. big time, having written it. And just what a classic it is. It was voted by the AFI, the great American comedy. I think Some Like It Hot was number two, yeah, maybe. And so, yeah, Tootsie's yeah. number one, I yeah. believe. I think so, yeah. So, at least, well, in the top two for sure and even though I know we're maligning Dustin these days in the Me Too movement aside from that look you know we, the, I feel like 
people forget what a perfect film Tootsie is. Mm-hmm. And also it speaks to this whole thing of like, like we say with the Gandhi and Emil Zola, we'll just call it the Emil Zola complex yes, for now. The Zola complex. It's like the Zola complex. Here's the, here's the serious movie with gravitas that's about something. And then it's basically imagining that Tootsie is not that. I mean, Tootsie is even, is imagining an even bigger premise and an even bigger, you know, sociological experiment about men and women. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I feel like that's the perfect example of like, you know, it's, it's the, Candy one, <laughs> everything. I mean, swept the board, didn't it? Really? Yeah, oh, totally. I know. <laughs> yeah, but in retrospect, we can now say that Gandhi and Michael Dorsey are like this. They really, right? they are. I mean, they are on. very similar leading yes, men. Yes, they're <laughs> avatars of social change, right there. You it's know? true, but you know what? They yeah. are. Yeah. I mean, that is the way to at least like give it some, you know, uh, context. I think that yeah. maybe that was the year that people needed some some hope. Mm. Okay, well, my final one is from the year 2000. Hmm. Um, okay. Okay, uh, have you got anything on 2000? I don't think I do. Okay, interesting. No. So, that year, fucking almost famous one best screenplay. Oh, right, okay. Um, traffic, one best adapter. Oh, God. I mean, traffic, sh- no, no. Um, and then Gladiator, one best movie. I mean, I fine. I love Gladiator. I love Gladiator, yeah. but uh, yeah. but you know, um, and it was a, when you look at those three, it's actually you think that's an interesting, like weird. It was I think it was quite a weird crossover time. It was like you know, obviously like changing decades and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but mine is a teen rom com that I think should have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your face. And actually, when we did that talk, remember that girl asked us, that student said, "What do you think about the teen rom com?" And I think, and I mentioned this movie. Um, I think Ten Things I Hate About You should have been nominated. Um, probably would count as adapted because I think Shakespeare probably would have taken mm, some mm-hmm. some rights to it. Um, but it was uh, Karen McCullough and uh, Kiwi Smith as she goes by. I think it's I think it's just a brilliant screenplay, um, and I think taking. Taking a Shakespeare, you know, a Shakespearean uh, basis and actually turning it into something that doesn't feel st- like Shakespeare, which mm. it doesn't, you know. I mean, mm. they use a lot of the language in Taming of the Shrew and they certainly, you know, stick to the, the, the structure the of it. Yeah, yeah, and the paradigm of it. But it's, but it's so modern and it's yeah. so fucking funny. Yes. So that would be... And I feel like sometimes teen rom-coms, like with the Clueless, you know, mm. they often get put aside into, like, the silly movies. And actually Taming the Shrew... Uh, Taming the Shrew, Ten Things, things I About You is is a really lovely movie about lots of things um, mm-hmm. and poses great central questions. And I, Heath Ledger is, is brilliant in it, as is Julia Stiles. So that was my naughty, into the noughties thing that I think should have got much more love. I'll have to revisit it. It's, it's great, yeah, really. Yeah, it is a good movie. It's great. And uh, that idea of remaking the classics, like Roxanne never got nominated, and that's another case of, you know, Cyrano in Modern yep. Dress. And yep. Clueless is yep. uh, Jane Austen. And Clueless is a perfect film, you know. Like, yeah. and, and, they, and they are... I think it's so tricky when you're, ba- you know, I think a lot of writers are like, oh, I'll take the basic, you know, I'll take a classic story by the, one of the most famous writers in the world. You know, it doesn't always work, but those are examples when it really, really does. Um, and I think people should get more kudos for that. More kudos. Yes. That's our theme. Yes. More kudos. Okay, so finally, uh, in terms of my last selection, I went with one we've discussed before. I had to, I'll tell you the ones that I didn't, that I thought about talking about. Arthur losing to Chariots of Fire. <laughs> That's an amazing one. I mean, come on, that's close. That's the Zola complex right there. (laughs) I managed to get an Arthur line into my casual episode. I managed to get I'll alert the media into Uh, it. Yes, a classic. A classic. Uh, There's, you know, many people uh, of these days, not so many people have seen the original Arthur and 
maybe the remake left a bad taste in some people's Correct. minds. Correct, yes. The, the original, which was written by Steve and directed by Steve Gordon, who sadly died shortly thereafter, thus depriving us of more brilliant movies, that is a screenplay that on the page mm. is laugh-out-loud funny. Yeah. It's just an amazing piece of work. But anyway, I went for the more obvious, more recent, 2012, Ooh. which we've already discussed and agreed on, which is that's the year that Argo... Ah! Oh, I know this one. ...beat out Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. But something else also should, came out that year. I think Obvious Child I had Obvious felt Child, should also have a good movie. also yes. got some... So, but Silver Linings won. She just won Best Actress then, mm-hmm. did she? Interestingly, that's mm, uh, it's almost the default consolation prize Oscar mm. to a lot of romantic comedies. <laughs> so true. Is best actress or best supporting actress? Yeah. It's true of many of the Woody Allen films. It's true of Silver Linings Playbook, and there's a few others that I can't instantly cite. Yeah. Uh, but where it's the it's the actress who gets the Oscar. Yeah, it's As true, isn't it? No that screenwriter like, involved. They must no, have just come up with those no. Lines. They and I, but I wonder if it's like something to do with like the screenwriter has given these a lot of these given them such great characters to play obviously exactly. so, you know so they're like oh what did, but no one wrote that that actress became by magic that character mm, 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 well those are some I feel like we've given some great awards out yeah the only things we left out again we've already discussed like you mentioned when Harry met Sally mm-hmm. I'm just going to n- n- cite the Zola problem <laughs> it, it, the, the screenplay it lost to was Dead Poets Society oh my god right Okay, need I say more? No. Okay. Always go back to that movie. Watch that all the time. Love a bit of Dead Poets when I'm yeah. feeling like, well, you know. Yes. But even so, and there's a, there's a lot of also rands. You know, there's like The Graduate lost what? to... What? Gra- oh my God, I totally it, it forgot about The Graduate. lost to In the Heat of the Night, which is... Oh, that's you a great argue movie. That. No, I mean, those are great movies, but still, but great still, screenplay. Yeah. Right? And you've got uh, Broadcast News and Moonstruck losing to The Last Emperor. But Moonstruck won... Uh, or screen, screenplay, screenplay but yes, but it, at least it won screenplay, yes, actress, and best supporting. I yeah, think, yeah, which is pretty good. For, yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah. Okay, so. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. What did I call it? I called it the Eternal Questions of the Eternal. No, I wrote it in that email to you, and I can't remember Eternal what I called it. Questions Eternal of Questions the rom- of the Romcom Mind. Okay. There you go. That's the section we're in. Yeah. Okay. So the Eternal Questions of the Romcom Mind, because we've had a few months apart, mm-hmm. um, and so we just thought there are a couple of things have struck us. Um, also, because I haven't been on social media, it's been great. No, I have I can like ignore everyone's like articles and, and anti-rom-com sort of sentiments of stuff um, but please still send me good positive ones by the way people I'm fine with that um, so you had a first question yes which I've just written down the big lie as rom-com plot oh, device yeah, yeah. is it dead and if not can we kill it it's not dead sadly and uh, we, we might get to kill it but like for example I'm working currently as we speak this weekend uh, for Universal on a not a romantic comedy, but a comedy with a big romantic comedy relationship smack dab in the middle of it. And uh, it's predicated on a lie. You know, that idea of somebody, for reasons that are either logical or not, withholds the vital information. And that carries on for almost the entirety of the movie. And the whole structure of those comedies is... Ba- it, it, it's like you could just take a pea shooter 
and bring the whole thing down because in real life, of course, you know, the more logical thing would be just tell them the truth. I feel like we talked about the big lie and when we talked about sleep um, uh, while you were sleeping was as a good example of one mm-hmm. that, that like does manage to maintain yeah. it. But, but pretty much just because the person is in a coma and can't wake up and tell her, right, uh, right. Tell, tell the there truth. There at least you've got some good logic. You've got some good logic, yeah. yeah. Um, but like the ones that, I mean, I, what, what I'm trying to think of, I mean, there's so many, but I suppose they're not the good ones really, are they? Well, that's the thing. You famously did the right thing. Which is, which is in Man Up, you started out with a big lie. But then you made sure to get it resolved earlier in the movie so that you had more substantive real estate to go to. Yes. You know, past the lie. And I think that when I've said to you before about that was the thing that opened up the whole film for me when I was writing it, that having her tell him that she wasn't actually his date at the end, of, towards the end of the first act, beginning of the second, made it suddenly gave me a lot more material because yeah. it, and, and sent me off in another direction. And, and the many of the versions that I had of the script before that... I was just treading... I felt like I was just treading water, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that the in the modern world as well, just trying to write actual, you know, like, big lie kind of things are also very difficult as well. So you have to find reasons that someone is not going to look someone up or, you know, and Google them or wh- whatever it is that they choose to do. And I would wager that your strategy, uh, which now that I think of it, is echoed in The Big Sick. Mm. Which is there's a big lie there. His mother's dates for him that are that he's not divulging. End of the first act. Yes, lie is done. Yes, we move on. We go because into... really, I think it should. When you actually think about it, it should be the setup. It's the, yes. it's the setup for it should something. Be the setup. So but, the ones that go all the way. Yeah, it's your bad decision that then sends you off in a direction that you that you didn't thought you'd go on. Mm-hmm. So that means that you can justify your bad decision. I mean, that's constantly why in Man Up I was like, she's going to tell him in the hope that. Uh, he's going to respond well, and then when he doesn't respond well, it goes in a different direction. But by the end of the film, she's still glad she did it. Yes, because, okay, what's interesting in life, we've all done bad things. Everyone's guilty of all kinds of heinous bad behavior, even the best of us. What's interesting, I think, to us fellow humans is how do you get past that? Yes. How do you survive it? How do you, how do you, uh, are, are you, can you be redeemed after something like that? That's where the real interest lies. Yeah. That's where so, the that's that's what I want to discuss and dissect and understand. Yeah, you know, I'm not yeah. interested in just watching someone pretend for a, an hour and exactly. you know forty minutes about something. And so, so in a bad romantic comedy, somebody lies for the whole movie, and then right at the end, they say, "Well, no," and there's a terrible dark moment where they're found out, and then five minutes later, they're forgiven and it's done. Yeah. So I guess what we're saying is, if you are writing a big lie, currently writing a big lie romantic comedy, think again. Think again. Get that lie out. You Get know, in the first thirty can. pages. Which, by the way, as a general screenwriting principle, and I think Craig would agree with this, us here, is you're always looking for the thing that shouldn't happen. Yes. We, we, we tend to get very attached when we're working on first drafts of projects to the original idea, mm-hmm. which is going to go like this, right? So you've got something like, yes, he's telling the big lie, and obviously that can't be revealed. It's like, no, what would happen if... If it was, yeah. I know. And it's funny, because I'm working on a new draft of a script that you did a consult for me two years ago now, and I've gone back to it, and it's so interesting when when you start to like when you when you're structurally sound then you can unlock all the things that you like you say you can go oh but what if that didn't happen there and it happened somewhere else and then it mixes it up and it makes it not generic and it makes the audiences not see everything coming um and you know we always say this every every single thing i give notes on everything i write myself the problems are always in the setup always Mm -hmm. um and people then charge ahead and then they and then they 
they don't they don't look at their basic premise and, yeah. and what what's being done with it. The Billy, um, the Billy Wilder quote that should be emblazoned on or should be on everyone's chalkboard, whatever, is all third act problems are first act yeah. problems. Yeah. I mean, what a metaphor for life in general, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Anything you're experiencing later in life is because yeah. of your early life. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. We won't dwell on that. <laughs> So my the ne- next question, and this is one that is rid- a ridiculous question that I pose to you, um, and I totally understand that people will be like, "What are you talking about?" I it's been striking me recently. Should people in long term relationships be allowed to write romantic comedy, <laughs> <laughs> or should they be physically restrained? I you what, know what is that coming from? Okay, it, it's come from, and I, I think I'm wrong in this, obviously, because of course, if you know, I. I watched Hang the DJ because everyone told me to watch it, the Black Mirror episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I I liked it. I didn't love it like everyone else did, uh, possibly because of my chippy Britishness in terms of um, I. It just felt very like I didn't believe that people speak like that, and I I didn't you know like the language was not great for me. Anyway, this is by the by. It's it's a it's a it's a great piece of work. I I didn't hate it or anything like that. But but it just struck me often when I watch some of these things that are people that have been in long-term relationships or married for a while, I think sometimes forget what it's like to be single. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they write a sort of fantasy version of single life. Ah. And they write a... Um, they they give their characters things that I'm like, that that doesn't feel real to me anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, I know personally I always have written... Um, the things that I've loved the most when I'm single. I mean, I've been single for like three or four years now and I definitely feel like I have an angle on relationships and I have struggled to find my way through all of that. And I think that then informs writing in a good way. Well, there's an emotional urgency that is not contrived. Yes. And that, yeah, and I'm not... I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that people in relationships can't write romantic comedies, but I'm saying if you are in a relationship and you are writing romantic comedy, try and step out of it and talk to as many people who are not... In because I think also if you've been with someone for a long time, then there's this version of you that's like, oh well, if I just met like this person in another parallel life, I'd have this amazing like romantic sexual thing with them, whatever, and then and then it would all come together and my life would be great again. You know what I mean? It's like mm. no, like right. um, I don't know if you've seen the Chris Rock Netflix special. Did you watch it? I mean, last night. Last night, me yeah. too. And. Um, I loved his relationship advice. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is basically just. Fuck and have sex. Right. <laughs> that was like... Uh, no, it was fuck and go out. Fuck and go out. Yes. Always be coming or going, right. he says. Coming or going. Absolutely, yeah. But he also... And he talks about being um, always... Sometimes you're the lead singer of the band and sometimes you're playing Same. tambourine. Exactly. Anyway, so here's someone... But he has divorced from his wife, and mm. sadly, and for the last few years has been filling up and he's now able to make those observations. Right. I don't think he would have been able to make them within while that while he was no, married. No so way. so this is what's fascinating to me. Mm. And I just want I just it just be, it's been noodling, like niggling at me because I just felt like there was um there was something that when I watch some some people's version of romantic comedies, the, it doesn't feel authentic to me. It feels like people who think that's what single people do in order to get together. And, this mm. is, and, and I feel like in the modern world, we need to be, if you are doing it, you need to be really, really like talking to people and living your life and not just, you know. And also, if you're going to write one about marriage, fine. That's like, right. you know, sure. that's. But if you're writing about single people, Different do your point. research. Yes. Okay, so that was my crazy question. But it, no, I thought no, it was no. interesting. Yeah, um, final question. And I think this came about because of something that someone had sent us. On, I can't remember where it I was reading something online anyway. It was to do with rom-com runs to the airport. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And then I suddenly was like, 
But how many runs are there actually to the airport in a romantic comedy? Because it's become this like the go-to thing to say, oh, and then he runs to her at the airport, she runs to him at the airport. I was like, right. so. And then I read this thing that said in movies the guy always chases the girl to the airport to tell her he loves her. I was like, really? I, I mean. In romantic comedies, always like well, I, airport has become metaphorical. Airport is metaphor, yes, but I feel like they are very specific to like it's a run, it's a physical metaphorical run, and I think we need to stop using the word airport run. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's the run we're objecting to. Well, it's more like saying in every thriller there's a mislead, you yeah, know. Right, in right. every horror something horrific mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. In every romantic comedy, can't we just say someone realises that they've made the wrong decision and, and goes to that person, you know? Well, what this speaks to, I think, is the myth of the big romantic gesture. Yes. There are many romantic comedies, bad and good, where there's a run in the end. So if we remove airport, okay. But the run is the grand romantic gesture. And the courtship movies, it makes sense, right? If you're really trying to seal the deal, you're going to prove the depth and breadth of your emotion for someone, then yes, pulling out the stops, running to stop them from getting there or here, the rescue. Works, by the way, not just for men. You know, 27 Dresses really does a great job of turning around. It's Catherine Heigl uh, running to her man to declare her love. So that yes, you, you can't get now. the reverse. Yeah. But I think the problem is... It works in a romantic comedy precisely because it's a courtship movie. Whereas I, in my own life, the one time I went running to stop somebody from going somewhere and showed up at their doorstep unannounced to prove that, in fact, I wanted them in my life. Yes, I got in the door. Yes, we made mad, passionate love. And we (laughs) broke up days later. Because the point is, the big romantic gesture only goes so far. I know. I mean, I'm just... And the thing is, is that I... It's... It's just more that we, this, you know, obviously it's our constant bugbear, but it's more that these, like, I love tropes. I mm. love tropes. And tropes are in all genre movies. Tropes and, are us. And, and tropes are us, exactly. And I've gotten, so, but let's, like, be a bit more original in our, like, in our putting them into these trope boxes, you know. I mean, I have a run in Man Up. Simon Pegg mm. runs with a bunch of teenagers to Here I Go Again by Whitesnake. You know, yeah. I tried to subvert. And you did. The run. Yes. Um, and, in fact... In one of the best, Harry Met Sally, yes, he does run across town to get to the New Year's party. And what I love about that movie is when he shows up and there he is with Meg Ryan and he says, I love you. She basically goes, yeah, what, what? So what? You, so what? you've shown up and said, I love you. And that means I'm suddenly supposed to like turn yeah, over. And then he does the speech. And then he does the great speech. But my point being, that moment in that movie is much more realistic than you'll normally get. Yes. And also like... Again, it's like, I think it's just, I feel, I mean, like, there are movies like Casablanca that have set us up with this romantic, it's the goodbye, the airport creates the goodbye or the hallow, doesn't it, really, you you know, um, and there's the great Moonstruck airport scene where, you know, she gets on the plane to go and see his dying mother and the the woman next to her says, I curse that plane. (laughs) And there's also Saving Face, which is a lesbian rom-com where uh, the lover goes running to the airport. She actually succeeds in stopping her lover before she's about to get on the plane. Basically, the lover goes, sorry, I got a plane to get. Yeah. And and so I'm not saying we can't have airports and in, in movies anymore. I just don't want to see people be like, oh, and then they run to the airport. I'm like, no, just say they run somewhere or they do a grand gesture. Mm-hmm. Don't put the airport because like, there aren't that many, actually. And I'll <laughs> add to that. I'll add to that. Look beyond the grand gesture. Yes. Like, what might be more meaningful, what might be more significant than just the big run? Yes. Like, how else can you really show someone how much you really care? Yes. And, and then you could walk there. 
You could walk there, and it could it could be done over the phone. Could uh, be. But but the text point, them. Text. <laughs> <laughs> the grand romantic text. I yes. think we're probably moving towards. Yes. That. Yeah. Oh, that brings us neatly to the final thing that you read me when I first got here about mm. a rom-com. Oh. Yeah, yeah. When we went, this is our final question about, um, someone did ask us when we did our talk, um, mm. they said to us, um, should someone be writing a rom-com about sexual harassment? Right. <laughs> and we were saying, hell yeah, if you can find the humour in it, yeah. please do. Please do. Um, and now, of all people, Heather Graham has taken up the cause. She's doing a movie called Half Magic which the New York Times informs us is a romantic comedy about a D-girl development assistant named Honey, unfortunately. I mean, that, I mean, yes. I mean, I'm just going to say, just reading this as you're reading it as well, like a D-girl called Honey does not... No. But maybe that's the whole point. Yeah. Because maybe she's making a point of, I can be a D-girl called Honey, but you... I don't know. Let's... let's I'm going to give her the benefit of the she doubt. She has a sort of a Weinstein character in there. And so, anyway, the point is she's taking it on. I'm intrigued by it. I mean, I actually really like Heather Graham um, as an actress. Um, I, I, I'm, in, I'm interested in what people are going to do in terms of because you know we got sent you know a lot of articles when it was all happening and you know, reading things like oh you know it's a it's the rom coms are still you know encourage sexual harassment right. and I just I don't I don't fundamentally agree with with that thesis. Um, they tend to, you know, like, well, I think we talked about it last time, you know, like, John Cusack knows the, the girl and has yeah. met her before when he stands outside with the, uh, mm-hmm. do we still call them boomboxes? I don't know what you call them anymore. Boomboxes. A boombox. A boombox. Right, the point is, um, it's a song she's familiar with. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's in, in your eyes. She's very familiar with Peter Gabriel. Um, so, yeah, I, but I do think there's going to be a new space for this. I mean, this is something that is going to, people are going to have to address um, in terms of um, how they're going to write about this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And please, 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 someone find the comedy in it because, yeah. like, it, we have to. Otherwise, we're done for. <laughs> I can say no more. I mean, Dramatic you know, ending. Yes, Dramatic yeah, ending. You pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Right. Well, that was great. I, feel, I think we're done. I mean, unless well, you had any other questions okay, yeah, you no, wanted I, to ask me. I was just having fun. Yeah, no, um, me too. So is that enough time? Have We We uh, have gone, we are like an hour and one minute at the moment. I've got to edit this down, well Billy done. Manet. Yeah, well but look, um, we will sum up by saying we hope that the, you have a lovely Oscar night on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I should be watching it with some friends and we do a sweepstake and, and behave as like that, I. as, would, as mm-hmm. everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows, maybe at some point they'll do a podcast nomination and... Rom-coms will finally get their due and will be nominated for an... <laughs> Something to look forward to. The Oscar for the best mm-hmm. podcast goes to You Had Us At. Hello. Hello. <laughs>